Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is viral star and passionate defender of the Democratic Party's values, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to this week's sponsors, Smith A.I. Trade Coffee and the Jordan Harbinger Show in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, you know, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow 10 days ago was known mainly to her suburban Detroit, Oakland County State Senate constituents. She's become now a national figure. Some would even say an icon, standing up to a right-wing smear that falsely charged that she was a sexual groomer. Senator, we are so pleased to have you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, let me start by saying- to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it was a remarkable speech, a remarkable response, uh, and there has been a remarkable reaction. What, what enduring impact do you envision or hope this might achieve? So I've been walking around my district. I've been at a few events since giving the speech, and I have heard from a lot of moms, people who look like me, right, who have said, I've been so tired after the past two years. I'm exhausted. But this felt like the kick that we have to keep fighting. We have to keep going. And if that's what we can do is get a lot of suburban moms, <laughs> pile in the minivan, bring some snacks, let's go save democracy. That's what I'm hoping we can do. Right. Maybe some backpacks. Uh, <laughs> some backpacks. Uh, President Biden called you. Uh, has there been any follow up? Are you going to appear with him or has the staff talked to you since then? Oh, I, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I actually missed his first phone call because I was reading my daughter a bedtime story. So I'm always going to tell her that, that Noah, remember, you were more important than the president. Uh, but <laughs> I, I've talked to Jamie Harrison since then. I've uh, been talking to a lot of people. So I am just ready to, to jump in on the team however I can, however I can be useful to get Democrats fired up for, for this midterm cycle. I'm all in. Well, if uh, I, Joe Biden doesn't take my advice, but if he goes to the Wolverine State and doesn't campaign with you, uh, that's going to be a big mistake. I, I suspect uh, he will. Um, he will campaign with you. The state senator who, um, who put out that false sleazy charge, is it Lena Theis? Is that, a, am I pronouncing it correctly? Lana Tice. Lana Tice. Uh, she took that cheap shot. Uh, and then she said afterwards, well, the language was awkward, but she basically doubled down. Is she getting any heat? I mean, I, I'm sure she is, but it is just shocking to me. I mean, you see my speech happen. She has sent out multiple fundraising emails. Another Republican running against Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin sent out a bait text that said, your child has had their gender reassignment surgery scheduled. Click here. And it was a click to his donation page. And, and then we saw the Michigan GOP nominate two Trump-backed conspiracy theorists to AG and Secretary of State. So 
I'm sure that there's blowback, but also this this is the playbook, and hate is still winning. It didn't it didn't end with one speech. Yeah, she she is in many ways the core. Um, you you spoke in that in that speech uh, on the floor. You spoke of your faith. You grew up a Catholic. You went to Notre Dame. You idolized Father Ted Hesburgh. Uh, you, you may have fallen out some with your church, but you are still um, a very avowed Christian. But let me ask you this. The faith community used to play a major role in the drive for civil rights and equality in America. And it appears at least that they have been eclipsed by the right-wing evangelical churches often on the other side. Do, do you agree? And if so, Why? Well, that's part of the reason that I wanted to kind of take back my own identity, because you see Christianity being weaponized to to hurt people, to hurt kids, to hurt marginalized community members. And I know that's not where where most people of faith are. Uh, my husband is Jewish, and I was at a rally recently at a synagogue, so I know that it's there. And I know that there are, are people of all faiths who still fundamentally believe in fighting for each other and community, and that is something we have to lean into as Democrats. James. Oh, well, since, uh, uh, of course, I'm, I just have this, this massive political crush on you. <laughs> <laughs> we... You said we, we talked on, uh, on the phone earlier, but what I'm interested in is your take. So, as you relate to me, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the, the senator who who called you a groomer, whatever insanity it was, was actually kind of started out as someone you you had like a friendship with, or you know, more than an acquaintance. I mean, you weren't like political; you were on a different side of the divide, but. Uh, it didn't start that. What do you, I'm just curious. What do you think drives these people to this kind of behavior? Yeah, and they're not born that way. They no. didn't, didn't start out in life that way. What drives a human being to look at somebody like you? Maybe they disagree with you on, you know, union organizing or the minimum wage. Maybe they agree with you, disagree with your choice. To to say that you're a criminal because that's what a groomer is. What what do you think drives them to that? It's And that's part of what was so shocking is, you know, we didn't have a, a bad relationship prior to the fundraising email going out. You know, we I, I wouldn't say that we were best friends, but we had gotten right. coffee together. We had talked about our husbands and families. I mean, we, we had a fine relationship. And I know that she's in a primary. She's got a primary race from the right. Uh, and I just, I see this willingness to kind of, almost disassociate there there's your family life and your personal life and then there's politics as if it's a game and there's no consequences and that's not how this works you know politics is life these are decisions that we are making about people's lives and the willingness to try to disconnect those two things is is really shocking to me so you want to talk about Michigan a little bit because it's in, it, we'll certainly want to get into 2022 in Michigan, but it strikes me from a distance that first, I never thought of, you know, uh, uh, George Romney, uh, you know, uh, people like that. I mean, there's a kind of moderate tradition of Michigan Republicanism. And it, it seems to me now that they are particularly crazy. I mean, kidnapping the governor, I mean, calling you a groomer. I mean, they, they have just left have most of them, not all, I'm sure they're, they're, they're plenty sensible Republicans, and you could point them out, too, is that got that dairy farmer for the Upper Peninsula that said, look, there just wasn't any fraud in the election. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, okay, maybe he's not somebody I'd vote would, but he seems to be to be to have some honesty. 
it, they have particularly crazy Republicans. And I think Michigan has some really effective and tough women Democrats. And I certainly put you at the top of that, but my, my dear friend, Governor Granholm, Governor Whitmer, our Secretary of State. It, it, do you agree Congress with my observation that there's unusually nutty Republicans and women and, and women Democrats have played an outside role in modern Michigan politics? Yeah, I would agree. And and so I represent Mitt Romney's hometown. My district was a Republican district that I flipped in, in 2018. And there was a reason I was very clear in the speech not to, to target Republicans, because I think when my constituents hear me say things like that, they think I'm talking about them. I'm not talking about my constituents. There's a difference between this current Republican Party, which is so disconnected from the Romneys, from people like Bill Milliken, who was a governor here in Michigan, who, you know, was a huge conservationist, who loved the Great Lakes, who was uh, in the tradition of moderate Republicans out of Michigan. I represent a lot of people who are still that type of Republican and who feel so lost right now because they don't see themselves in Mike Shirky, who the day that the FBI announced the plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, he walked out of the Senate chambers and went to a rally with the same extremist, you know, boogaloo boys and, and militia groups that were rallying on the Capitol steps that day and told them to keep going. It, it is there's such a disconnect from the, the kind of history, the proud history of bipartisanship and moderation in Michigan. So that's really a lot of my message to voters is I'm not talking about you. This current Republican Party is not the Republican Party that you grew up with. And you've got a choice this year. It is vote for people who want the government to work or vote for conspiracy theory, anti-government extremists. That's the choice this year. So, so I'm going to turn back to Al, but I think in your district, I gave a speech, I think the largest Jewish reform temple in the country is in your district. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Am I right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. I, just some, I'm, I'm checking my memory because when you get my age, <laughs> you forget a lot. But I think in the 90s, I gave a speech there. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the rabbi and people, you know, took me around and showed me the, the whole thing. And I just distinctly remember, if I'd have thought, where the largest Jewish reform temple in the world, I wouldn't have picked suburban Detroit, but it right. was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you get a lot of votes there. <laughs> Albert, go ahead. James, James, when you were giving that speech, uh, the senator was in elementary school. I just would have. <laughs> I, was on, I, I noticed I, I was on the Beamer. That's <laughs> uh, a high honor. I, I, I drive Beamer, a Beamer. I actually drive forward, but anyway. Senator McMurrow, <laughs> let me just take you back quickly to what the particulars were, what the charges she made and you answered. One dealt really didn't with LGBTQ people. Yeah, so so the charge, in, and again, this was in a fundraising email that she sent out for herself. We are not even in the same district. She named me by name and accused me of grooming, which the definition of grooming is befriending a child for the purpose of sexually molesting them, um, supporting pedophilia, and wanting eight-year-olds to believe that they were responsible for slavery. I mean, just, I'm a mom of a one-year-old. That is a horrific accusation to level against somebody that you work with. It's just, it's madness. Yeah, it really is. And they, they, of course, bring up race and the critical. Is the critical race theory, to your knowledge, taught anywhere in the Michigan public schools? No. So it's just an absolute canard. I mean, it's just, you know, they, you know, they make it up. And do you know anybody in your party who says that basically their kids ought to feel guilty about slavery? No, 
know. And there is a huge difference between understanding accurate history. You know, when I grew up, I didn't grow up in a particularly diverse area, but we learned about slavery. And you feel horrible knowing that humans owned other humans, but that doesn't mean that it was my fault. That means that we now have a responsibility to learn from that so that we don't repeat history. So we actually had uh, Christopher Rufo was invited to testify in the Michigan Education Committee in the Senate six months ago. This is the guy who was profiled in the New York Times this past weekend as the architect of creating the fear around critical race theory and now pivoting to LGBTQ issues because he feels like that is so much more powerful. It's made up. It is manufactured outrage that is creating issues where there aren't issues. And it's deflecting. It's scapegoating. And this is frankly what's so upsetting is they're lying to their own supporters because let's say we pass legislation and next week a fifth grader who's trans can no longer play soccer. That's not going to bring your health care costs down. But that's what they want you to believe. And it's it's lying to everybody. It's hurting a marginalized community. But it's also just scapegoating because there are no policy plans. Yeah. This is going to play out not just in your state of Michigan, but all over the country. What advice do you offer to those, mainly Democrats, who are going to be under similar attacks? I think we have... We, we can't lose if we stand in our morals. We love our families. We love our communities. We love our schools. We want teachers and parents to be able to talk to each other because it takes a village to raise a child. And this is just outright hate. It's hate and it's lies. And I think we can get aggressive, call it what it is, blunt it, and point out that it's a scapegoating tactic because then they don't have a platform. There's nothing to stand on. And if we can make that case really strongly and frankly show our communities, especially those who are being targeted by these attacks, that we stand with you and we're fighting for you and we're fighting for everybody else because there aren't any policy solutions behind these really hollow attacks. Senator, I'm going to turn it back to James, but uh, I think you have a primary too. Uh, How's it looking right now? You know, we feel good about it. I'm excited. I I represent the suburbs right now. With redistricting, the Michigan Senate has the opportunity to flip to Democratic control for the first time since 1984, uh, which, believe it or not, is before I was alive. So so, longer than my lifetime. (laughs) James was still giving speeches back then, but go ahead. ahead. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm excited. So my new district uh, brings together the suburbs and the city of Detroit, which is so exciting for me um, to be able to hopefully represent a metro Detroit diverse district. So we feel good about it. We're going to work super, super hard, get out on doors, talk to everybody like we did the first time around and and ask for their trust. I fight like hell. You know, hopefully this week showed that. Uh, and, and I'm really excited to, to go into this next cycle. James. So, Senator, before we leave, we're going to get into the most important topic of this conversation more than anything else is we have critical races coming up in Michigan. I know the people that listen to us want to know about it. I know they're interested. They want to write checks. We have a secretary of state race. We have a state senate race. We have a governor's race. And we don't want to leave without talking about that because winning elections and acquiring power is the single most important thing in the world. But I'm going to before we get with our grand finale on the most important topic here. I'm going to be embarrassingly. Uh, complimentary of you. I I taught communications for a long time at the college level. And one of the things that I would always point out, and I'm I'm not 
saying equating what, what Lou Gehrig went through or what you did through. I'm not doing that. But that was one of the great speeches of all time. Now, if you actually listen to the words of the speech, it was it was fine. But the circumstances elevated it to one of the most legendary moments, not, not just in uh, American sports, but just communications and emotion. And I think what you did, and I want to be clear, you, you, you did not have ALS, but there was a, a lot of people in the country that said, God damn, I wish I could just say it. I mean, yeah, I'm white, I'm straight, I'm married, I have kids, but that's not what defines me. I'm a human being. Right, and no one could say it, and you had this golden moment that you just took, you just seized and owned it. And you, you, you were speaking, you weren't so much speaking to, to this cravingly ambitious person, you were speaking to every person that values their humanity above their, their, their sexual orientation, their gender, their race, their, their, their ethnic background, anything like that. And I think for that, that, that elevates you to, to the very highest level of communicators. And I mean this seriously. I mean, I mean it very, very seriously. I'm not teaching anymore. I'm a little too old. But Al showed that speech to his class at Penn, and they just loved it because you spoke for so many people. And you just had this moment, and you should always treasure what you did. And it was, by the way, it was a great speech. And so I, I, I just want to tell you how much inspiration, and I hope people take inspiration for this and take inspiration for this moment where you, you, you had this opportunity and you stepped in and you said what we all felt. Thank you. So that, that I know, it, I know it's too long and too... Uh, groveling, but I, I just mean every word about it. And I thought about it, and I thought about it. Of course, when the, uh, Greg Sargent, you know, said, he asked me to comment, and I'd already seen it, and he said, I'm going to send you to have to look at it. I said, Greg, I don't have to look at the goddamn thing. I saw it <laughs> 10 times last night because I was jealous. Jeez, I wish I could have been there and given, done that, but you did it. <laughs> I just love you to death, woman. I just got to tell you that right now. <laughs> Well, I hope it. I hope it helps a lot of people feel a kick in the ass to get moving. That's, that's what I, I hope so. comes out. Let's talk about what's coming up in Michigan: governor's races, state legislative races, secretary of state race. Right? Yeah. So, so Michigan. I mean, Michigan is is the epicenter. This is the front line. This is what's going to determine where the rest of the country goes. We are a state that elected. Gretchen Whitmer, Dana Nessel, Jocelyn Benson, three powerful women in our executive office. But we have more homegrown militia activity than, than any other state in the country. So it is not an over-exaggeration to say democracy is on the line. And Michigan is going to determine, you know, if we have free and fair elections after this election. So we, it is so important. We have to reelect Governor Gresham Whitmer, we have to reelect Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, uh, who just received the Profile and Courage Award for, for her defending elections against all of these allegations of election fraud here in Michigan from the 2020 election. Uh, and, and Attorney General Dana Nessel, 
fighting the good fight. You know, when Roe falls, again, Michigan is on the front lines of women's rights, family rights, all of that is, is happening in Michigan. So I know a lot of times Secretary of State races and AG races get missed, um, and I have to make a huge pitch to our state legislature because this is where if we hadn't had the oversight committee that did reveal that no, there was no fraud in the 2020 election, despite what Rudy Giuliani said in a hearing that ended up on Saturday Night Live for Michigan, this is on the line. So Michigan, we have a real chance to flip the state Senate. Like I said, for the first time so, since Let me jump in and I'm going to turn it over yeah. now real quick. What is the one place, if you're listening, where should someone send a check? It would be, it would be the, the, the party as a coordinated campaign. Is oh, yeah. Some place. Michigan Democratic Party. Labora Barnes, Mich- our chair, wonderful. She will make sure that we are putting that where, where it needs to go right. to get everything we need to do done. So listen up, folks. You just heard from the senator that the Michigan Democratic Party, and I, I liked it when, when I, I'm confident that a party is well-run and competent, I always recommend that. Send your goddamn checks, not to Marjorie Taylor Greene's opponent. Send it to the Michigan Democratic Party and send a lot. Albert? Uh, you know, James mentioned, uh, Senator, that uh, I showed, I teach a class at the University of Pennsylvania, and I did last week show the clip the clip of you speaking, the whole clip of you speaking on the Senate floor. And I had a whole number of students who that night uh, emailed me that they sent it to their parents, uh, uh, which really, I, I thought, I mean, when a, when, a, when a college kid sends something to their parents, that means it really had an impact on them. Yeah. Oh, that means a lot. And, and we've gotten, I, I, James, I will send you some of these letters we've gotten. We've gotten them from all over the country, people writing by hand, these incredible stories about their lives, their parents' lives, what service means, and and this is, it's been so moving and wonderful. Well, Senator Mallory McMurrow, you are an icon, and uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you being on this program, and we hope you'll come back. Al, thank you, James, thank you. All right, and tell tell your friend, the chairman of the party, that I'm going to carry my bony ass up to Michigan sometimes, and I'll do a fundraiser for you, anything that you need. Because you are welcome this, anytime. This, Just don't wear a U of M shirt in Lansing. <laughs> <laughs> you can go. You can go visit that uh, that that reform synagogue again, James. There you go. <laughs> thank well, you I'll make so sure. much. <laughs> thank you. Take All care. Right, give your kids a hug for us. Okay. Thank you. James, uh, you know, a lot to talk about uh, this week, uh, but um, some of it, uh, you know, we probably want to skip. Like, I don't know enough about Twitter to comment on uh, on the implications of that. But one thing I, I think that you've talked about, and there's been several stories, the democratic energy, and I'm not just talking about the, the rank and file, but I'm talking about the groups, the organizations. Uh, it's not what it should be. No, and it's and it's been written about in New York Magazine, which, uh, as you know, I'm kind of a big fan of. I think it's the most provocative of these kind of left of center uh, publications. And it had a piece that something something I've been on for a long time. What good are these democratic interest groups? And I'll just be specific here: women's uh, health groups, environmental groups. You name them. And 
they seemed to just absorb a lot of money and not do very much. And of course, after this piece was written, and I, I, I hate it that I can't remember the, the writer's name, but he's a he's a kind of old lefty. He comes from a pedigree, and he understands that. And actually, Michelle Goldberg wrote about it again in the New York Times. And there's just going to have to be a serious reevaluation of how these left of center interest groups and national groups work. Because I have to tell you, the pro-choice people have been a disaster. The pro-life people have beat them like a drum. And they're getting ready to lose in the Supreme Court. They're losing in every state legislature they can. And people that care about this, that are passionate about this, that think this is an important issue, you got to change game plans here. It's just is not working. It's not working at all. Climate is receding to the to, to the back. Uh, the, the climate movement has not energized people. Has not invigorated people. I think it's been flat. It 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 refuses to use emotion as part of its message. It's convoluted, and it's going to face major, major, major defeat. This is not a good time for this entire thing. We're receding, and we're going to recede more. And by the way, Roe is a 72% issue, and we're going to lose this totally. Most people want to be activated by climate. We're losing this by the minute. They're just not any good. They won't change. They raise money from the same donors. They get the same grants. They all hire each other, and they all do the same thing, and none of it works, and they'll never be challenged. Well, I'll tell you what the I think the core of the problem is. If you look at the right-wing groups, the Republican groups, uh, Club for Growth, uh, uh, some of the uh, evangelical Christian groups, the uh, pro, uh, pro-life groups, they many of them, most of them, tie what they're doing to politics. They're involved in campaigns, and that is, that, that's central to everything they do. And Correct. I think if you look at the other side, uh, they are less linked to politics. Some are, but a lot aren't. They do their own thing. They go and they do, you know, they make all kinds of pronouncements, and they put out ads, and they talk about how important the cause is, but they don't tie it to electoral politics as much as the right does. And it goes back to a, a study that we both admired a great deal about seven or eight months ago from a Harvard political scientist. And what they, what they did, several of them, they went and they looked at, at, at North Carolina and Georgia and the William Barber justice campaign in North Carolina and Stacey Abrams' campaign in Georgia. What Stacey Abrams did, she tied it to getting people to vote, to explaining them the consequences. Uh, and it, it made a difference. It probably is the reason, in part at least, why Biden carried that state why they elected two senators. By contrast, William Barber in North Carolina, with all the good intentions, had all kinds of demonstrations. They went to the Capitol. They marched. They had all kinds of events. But they didn't tie it to electoral politics. And I think that's a problem with the, with the, with the pro-choice people, uh, with the climate people, uh, and with a number of the others uh, in, in the Democratic side of politics today. You know, it's, it's like they don't want to get their hands dirty. Right. And so as long as they're in Washington and they're hiring the same people who go to the same places, you know, read the same things, listen to the same things, they're not going to be challenged. And the last thing that these people want to do is go out and organize in a state, 
what, do you, you want me to go to, to eastern North Carolina? I don't think so. I'm in Adams Morgan. You know, I'm not going to do that. I, 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 I have to, I brought my friends and I got my wine and cheese parties and I, I, I listened to NPR and, and this is what I am. And, and that is the problem. They don't want to engage. They just want to talk to each other. They want to go out and, and literally have the same people, give them the same money and live off of it. And they're losing and they're bringing a lot of people down. Look at the amount of energy you had at, right at January 2017. They had a million women on the mall. And it just dissipated. It just dissipated. And I, I, don't, I don't think that, that, that there is sufficient leadership. I don't think emotion is used. I don't know what they're doing. I think they're just all talking to each other. That's my own view. Yeah, I think there is there there is a lot of that, and they don't. Uh, and and I must say, when I look at the right, uh, as uh, as as much as I, uh, as bad as I think some of their causes are, they're shrewd. They really are shrewd. You look at the Club for Growth, which you know they're they're frauds. They said they're for you know limited government, small small uh, uh, government, uh, lower taxes. And, and the last spending. thing their policies but, do is grow the economy. By the way, but, just but but what money. they really do is they they tie to campaigns. Anywhere you go, the club for growth is a major factor in a in a campaign, and I don't see that uh, on the other side. But James, what else? What else is on well, your mind? Well, I, I mean. So what I like is this psych-ops war that's going on about Kevin McCarthy. You know, it, it, who's recording these? I mean, it, at first it was all, it was Liz Cheney. Then somebody came in and said, no, it was Elise Stefanik. And can you imagine if you're Kevin McCarthy or you Steve Scalise or you anybody, you're scared to talk to anyone because you don't know who's diming everybody here. But somebody is. And it, it, it reminds me of the, the Robert Livingston fall. So at the two thousand tell the story, because I think it's, it's worthy. The 2000 convention, his wife, Bonnie, was at the Republican convention. Obviously, I was doing media stuff, and my wife was, you know, obviously there. And the family, and she comes up to me and she says, you slimy piece of shit. You, you know, you brought my family down. I hope you feel good about what you did. And I, I said, I, 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 you know, I was just kind of mulling around. I didn't have anything to do. You know, can't tell you I was disappointed to see this hypocrisy exposed, but I, I, I didn't know about it and I wasn't the guy behind it. And then about three years later, I run into Congressman Lavoie, former Congressman Livingston, and he said, man, I'm sorry that, you know, well, we now know that Tom DeLay did the whole thing. Yeah. James, back up. What the, what the thing was, was when they dumped Newt Gingrich's speaker, right. they were going to yeah. turn to Livingston. And within a day, uh, it, or actually less than that, it came out that he apparently had had some kind of an affair with someone, which in that environment immediately uh, took him out of it. So so that right, was the right. context Thank of what, you. Yeah, of what I, I, I was presuming too much knowledge. That, yes. But, but, they Most of our all, viewers aren't as old as we are, James. I, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I agree, and that was a, a, a good uh, a good backup there. The catcher ran down the first baseline because first baseman. <laughs> <laughs> but, but forget that for a moment. But I mean, the point is, when that happens, and you don't know who did it, you don't know who to trust, and so the, the game is: let's come up with somebody else that might have done it. 
because some because obviously someone doesn't want McCarthy to be the presumptive speaker. And so it, it's more likely that it's Stefanik because Liz Cheney is not going to be the presumptive speaker, for sure. Well, don't but take who, out Jim. Don't rule out Jim Jordan. No, I know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, was it the, the, the you know, was it the uh, butler in the library? Or, you know, would he do it with the <laughs> candlestick? I mean, there's all kind of stuff here. And, and this game should continue as to who did it. They could do a, a, a political clue game, Kevin McCarthy. And who are all the suspects? I, mean, I, I would give anything to be like a 31-year-old reporter now and just write a piece. But <laughs> Oh, man, I'd give anything to be a 31-year-old reporter, period. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be, be, be a 31-year-old bricklayer. Exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's right. And, of course, what they, you know, one of the things is that uh, among this entire group, McCarthy is a bit like Trump. They know he wouldn't have any loyalty to them, so why the hell should they have loyalty to him? And right. I, just, I, he, he may get to be the next speaker even, but he is he's going to be a wholly owned subsidiary, first of Donald Trump and who knows who else. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that I think this whole intrigue thing, I mean, it's psychological warfare that you can't believe because you don't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. And you don't know it. it and it's, it, it's it, I don't know, what, what, I, what I, how do I say the sound? It's just it's Shakespearean. I don't know, it's, but it's maybe it's Greek. Something, it, it, it's <laughs> something like that. I mean, and and you can imagine. Of course, eventually we're going to find out who it was, and there's going to be a lot of books written about it. And it's also just the oldest story in the world. People see that, or think, you know, thinking with, with good reason that they're going to be in power, and everybody is lining up. It, it this is really a a. This is Hamlet on steroids, man. I, I got to tell you, I just love this story. I can't get enough of it. You know, Kevin McCarthy uh, had the speakership within his grasp, he thought about seven years ago, and then he made a, uh, you know, a, a dumb comment, even if it was a truthful comment, that the whole purpose of the Benghazi thing was to, was to uh, uh, you know, sleaze up uh, Hillary Clinton, and he said it worked, and then they caught him in relationship, apparently, with somebody, and uh, so he was bypassed. And uh, Kevin hasn't learned his lessons because what Kevin is is a very, he's a shrewd political tactitioner, uh, but he's not a heavyweight and um, he's obviously not disciplined. And I can tell you this, if he is speaker, James, I will make a fearless forecast. He will go down as a terrible speaker <laughs> in the lines of several of his predecessors. You know, people have proved this again and again. If you have people, and I and I, 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 I would certainly put President Clinton at the top of this. If you have people that feel a certain affection and loyalty to you, anybody isn't going to inevitably hit a, a rough patch. All right, every ship gets into stormy weather, and the difference is that Kevin McCarthy is. There's no one that feels intensely about him. Right. Right. All right. Right. And and so if it comes, okay, well it just this is you know, this is some heat, I'll just get the hell out of there. Where people that build up relationships and have people that care about them, it, when something happens, these people are going to be much more inclined to come to your defense. Well, absolutely. I mean it was true 
as you said, of Clinton, certainly true of Obama. It was actually true of Reagan. Uh, and, it was yeah. tr- and it's certainly true of Nancy Pelosi, but it ain't true of Donald Trump and it ain't right. true of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, right. That's for sure. Yeah, oh. I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, Reagan had, he had gotten a lot of trouble over doing anything, justifiably, but he had people, you know, that cared about him. Right, right. Yes. Okay. All right, James, now we have these great questions that come in every week. Again, I want to tell you, if we don't get to it this week, please send it in next week because there's so many good ones here. I'm going to start off uh, with Jake uh, in Clinton, Washington. I've never been to Clinton, Washington. I've been to Clinton, Iowa. I haven't either. But I've not been to Clinton, Clinton, New Jersey. Yeah, Clinton, Clinton Louisiana. Yeah, but East, not. City, East Feliciana Parish. All right, Jake, we'll be out there, Washington. That's a, that's a fabulous state. Jake says, doesn't matter what top-down policies or ad strategy our party has when, when they're winning the propaganda game from the bottom up. And he's talking about appointments. When is our party going to realize that we are bringing an old TV ad to a modern viral fight? All my friends... See, all my friends see comes from the right. You know, first of all, stunning observation. Secondly, the party and the people, and when I say this, there's a lot of complexity that goes in. But when I'm talking about congressional staffers, people that work at interest groups, NGOs, foundations, newsrooms, they all come from a certain thought process, right? And they most all are highly educated and coastal and have no desire to be anything else. And I just think that the, the Democratic Party, and I think Senator Tessa would agree with me, as would any number of people who, who text me from time to time or call me would, we have run, we have become a comfortable coastal party that is more interested in not the rank and file of people like you, but the people in Washington are more comfortable with being smug and, and being comfortable than they are going out and doing things. And if, you know, if, if you, that's fine. You need people at the Pentagon, you need people at headquarters, but you need people on the front lines. And we just have, in my opinion, a lot of talented people who are sitting around Adams Morgan, you know, going to wine and cheese parties. And it, I ain't getting off of this one. Well, don't. Please don't, because it's important. Our, our next question comes from Lillian in Woodstock, Virginia. I know oh, that. I know Woodstock. Yeah. Oh, God, right. it's my hometown almost. Do you? Shenandoah County. She says, is there an opening for Democrats to recruit Disney and its money to dethrone DeSantis and, more generically, the Republicans? Coming under the heading of my enemy's enemy is my friend. Uh, look, um, First of all, you got to understand what DeSantis is doing is a fraud. I mean, it's it's against state law. It's not going to happen. He, 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 this is solely a campaign issue for him. You know, a political cheap shot. It's supposed to happen in what sixteen months, I think. Uh, and uh, Disney says it's not going to give any money to Republicans. I hope they keep that up. But to be honest, it's not going to happen. It's not going to have much impact right now. Uh, but you know, I think you have to keep at him. I want to get Senator McMurrow down in down in Florida. She could take on Ron DeSantis. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this because my my, my fellow Shenandoah Countyian has has really 
hit on our response today. The, the first thing is all of this, the transgender stuff, the critical race theory stuff, the Disney stuff, it's all stunts. Understand, these are college frat kids pulling stunts. That's all this is. It's nothing to do. And of course, the courts are going to throw this out. Of course, he's going to own the libs. Of course, nothing is going to get advanced. It's talking about a problem that doesn't exist. I, I, I think Disney will go back to giving to Republicans because this is going to pass over. The courts are going to strike it down. If, if, if it doesn't, it's going to cause billions of dollars of, of tax increases in Florida. But understand this. The, 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 the modern Republican Party is a party of stunts. That's all they do. It's one after another. And once you start down the path of stunts, you have to, you have to go one more. All right, you have to go one more. You have to keep stunting up, and you just watch. They're just going to keep doing more of this. But this is what this is. These are frat people pulling off stunts. So somebody says, "Well, look at this. Well, we can do that." And it's all manufactured by calling Senator McMorrow a groomer or sending people, you know emails telling them to put their child, get their child's number for sex change operation. It's all fucking stunts. And hopefully, and I, I would have said five years ago, you know, stunts evaporate. They are what they are. People don't confuse this with policy. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe stunts, at least for now, seem to be working and, and you know, we got to get our asses off the coast and in the country and take these stunts on. Agreed. Let's stick with Virginia for a minute. Uh, Sean in Reston uh, says that the okay. Democratic, good question, Jane. If the Democratic Party were a baseball club, how would you rate our farm system? Who were the blue chip prospects in the party and how would you measure their readiness for triple A, double A for the I, big leagues? Thank you. And I would rate our 2018 incoming Democratic class, and not in the farm system, I would put them as the 27 Yankees, <laughs> all right? I, I, I would put them as, you know, one of the, the, the great teams ever. And unfortunately, we have to elevate these people. But if that, that 2018 incoming class was just... I felt so good about the future of the party, and they've been stifled and sort of caught. But they, you, this is a great myth that the party doesn't have talent, doesn't have a bench. They have a bench. The problem is we got our bench, which should be playing in Major League Baseball. We got them stuck down there in the low minors. But I love your analogy. I love your, your question. And there's actually, and I think you would agree with me, the, 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 the 2018 incoming Democratic House class, stunningly talented on many different levels. Yeah, they sure are, and I just hope some of them are elevated to get more national attention. But James, I've got an addition to that. Actually, it was in the 2018 class. We actually won an upset win in a state Senate race in Oakland County, Michigan. And boy, I'll tell you, this is someone who clearly is ready for AAA and will be ready for the big leagues very soon. And that's our guest today, Senator McMurray. Sure, of course. She is big time. And, and people like that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, everywhere. I, you know, James, the next, this is, I'm, I'm going to stick with 
old Ron DeSantis for a minute because Jeff in St. Pete, Florida says the right-wing media is moving away from Trump and toward DeSantis. He says uh, DeSantis is 10,000 times meaner and smarter than Trump. He doesn't care if he's liked. Uh, what do we do to make sure he's not nominated? I'll tell you something. Uh, I disagree with you, Jeff. If Trump runs against DeSantis, DeSantis says he's mean, he doesn't care, everything else. I think that the stuff that the Trump people will sick on him, the Roger Stones in the world, you just won't believe it. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis wouldn't wouldn't know what hit him if he gets into a pissing contest with Donald Trump. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cheering it on if it happens because... Uh, 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 who, whoever gets hurt, and if both gets hurt, right on, James. What do you think? I, I kind of disagree. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll go through the respectfully disagree stuff. Thank you. But it, what, what's at the core of this? Is, is the core of it that, that it's a, a, a loyalty to the leader? Is It's Trump. And people just, Trump came along, and he just said what I was thinking, and I like him, but stick with him forever. Or is this whole thing predicated on gut-wrenching fear that you are losing, you, you know, you had an, ex you in your mind, you didn't, but in your mind you had this exalted place in American politics and American culture and people that are not like you are, 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 are coming in and, uh, I hate to use the word, but I will, replacing you. And I think that's a stronger impulse than the impulse to like Trump because he kind of grabs his crotch and, you know, hates all the people that you hate. Where if they think DeSantis can, you know, subjugate uh, females, subjugate gays, subjugate people that are not white, I think they'll go with the person that they think can most enforce their kind of ethnic, racial, gender preferences. And I, I, I think they would abandon Trump and go to DeSantis if they thought he was the guy that could do it. Well, we both would relish the fight, wouldn't we? Uh, so bring it on. Well, yeah. But I mean, that, 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 uh, unfortunately, the, the, the things that Trump brought up and, and the emotions that he brought to the surface are, are, are not going to dissipate with him. And uh, I, I, unfortunately, this is just a, a really, really, in this whole idea that the country belongs to us and we can keep it for ourselves. We, first of all, you're not going to have any Social Security or Medicare. You've got a sh shitty job market. But forget all of that. Uh, it, this is really a fight about a, a change in America. You know, people that uh, America's changing and they understand the change and they're kind of comfortable with it. And people, I think, that we can revert back to another time. And that, that's just, I think it's that simple. Kate in Springfield, Pennsylvania. I know Springfield well. I grew up about five miles from Springfield. She's a big fan of the show, and she thanks us for turning her on to Magic Spoon. She loves Magic Spoon. She said, if at the state level, secretaries of state are my number one priority. We went over that, and you mentioned it, James, and uh, Senator uh, McMurrow mentioned it today. What should be my second and third priorities? Uh, attorney generals, district attorneys, uh, what do you recommend, James? Well, I, I, th I think, actually, I think Senator McMorrow gave us some good guidance. You, know, you, have, you have a governor's race. Yep. I don't know how big priority that is. You have a secretary of state's race, pretty big priority. You have attorney general's race, pretty big priority. You have a chance to take the state senate back for the first time since 1984. And, it, it, and she said something, and I think you and I 
both mentally jump to this. Let, let's find out. I, I'd like to see somebody do top de- 10 state Democratic parties ranked. All right? Yeah. In, in where you know there's a good party that, that has support, you know, let's take our, our friend uh, in Wisconsin, Ben Winkler. Okay. Right. right. Uh, or let's take. Uh, and Michigan's good. Know, Virginia's Susan. good. Yeah. Yeah. In, 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 in Susan Schrecker in Virginia. I'd love to see some analytical thing on where can donors, because my, my, my initial reaction is, as opposed to trying to call or prioritize or, or engage in some kind of political triage, which which in, to some extent is necessary because some places you have a, a, a shitty party. Uh, but you where are the places You're not mentioning Florida, be, of course. Uh, yeah, I... I, 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 I I, I would let's have an evaluation. But right. Sometimes you can have a successful state. I mean, I don't have no idea what the California Democratic Party is good or bad, but there's a lot of Democrats in California. Right. Okay, where are, the, where are the places that have kind of punched a, a, above their weight where our candidates have faith in that party? And, you know, it's generally going to be in a place where you have that the governor's a Democrat or somebody is because they, they have... Some additional things. I'll give you another traditionally good. I have no idea if they're good now, but the DFL in Minnesota has been a particularly over the years. I think we would both agree one of the best, a particularly effective state party. But I, I think it's something that's worth investigation. Yeah, because I get a lot of people asking me, "Where do I send my money?" And I and I, I try to give them a conscientious answer, but my you know I haven't been in it. I don't know a lot of players. I've been kind of a you know I'm a retired college professor, but th- that 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 that's a very good discussion, and that's one worth having. Well, you- and the other thing is, I don't know. I, I, I don't. The DNC has traditionally not been a particularly effective organization, and I don't sure have now. Right. I don't have good vibes here right now. I got to be truthful with you. Well, James, you've answered, you know, one a question from Cody, uh, Cody in Nashville, Tennessee. You've just just uh, um, answered it because Cody asked, "Do state level political parties matter anymore?" I think what you're saying is some do and some yeah. don't. Let's find out which ones do. Yes. Yeah. And I, maybe we can get a guess. Of, maybe somebody knows this, but they're not all created equal. Right. Right. All right. You mentioned and, Ben Winkler's done a terrific job out in Wisconsin. Right. And uh, but that's a that's a. Oh, good. and I've done I've I've done events for the Tennessee State Democratic Party. I I don't want to say they're bad. They're very nice. You know, it's a very difficult state. You're not going to win a lot of elections in Tennessee. Uh, and but but it could be that, that there are probably some great political parties in states that we don't do well. For all I know, the Utah Democrats are particularly. You know, but that, sometimes the result is it depends on where you are. But who? spends the money in the right places, who deploys the right resources, who inspires the right people, and where can people like your Penn students who who care and center in this, where can they get their ass out of Philadelphia during the cycle and go and work where they can have an impact and they, they can have a real strategy and be well-led? I yeah. think that's an important question that we should try to answer. It sure is. I'd, I'd add one more thing to Kate's uh, list of uh, what should be her priorities, and that is state Supreme Court elections. 
Sure. Uh, I mean, boy, you just look at Michigan and, and, and Ohio and North Carolina and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. We have elected state. I know there's a critical one in North Carolina. They have four, three right. Democratic majority. Two Democrats are up. There are two races up in two Supreme Court races up in Michigan this year. Uh, check and find out where else. But if, if there's an elected state Supreme Court in your state, Take a look at, at who's up and what the stakes are. Because in some of those states, they have prevented some really bad things from happening. But, but look at what the, the Koch brothers, you know, or the right-wing organized. They, they go down to the school board level. Right, exactly. And I'm not, I'm not so much suggesting that. Yeah. But if, if you listen to this show and you work for a Democratic interest group and, you're on, and you can smell salt water, get your ass out of there. They're not doing any good at all. Right. The, 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 the Michigan State Democratic Party is 6,000 times more valuable than any of these groups in Washington. So get out and do it. Lisa in – hey, James, this is good. Uh, Moore Park, California. Have you been to Moore Park, California? I have not. Spell it. M-O-O-R-P-A-R-K. I have not. Well, we'll check it, Lisa, but you got to check it. Lisa asked a good question. Say a couple weeks back, news broke about Trump using a burner phone during the insurrection. Why haven't the Democrats seized this opportunity and turned it into the equivalent of Hillary Clinton's emails? (laughs) You know, I I read too many like spy books and police procedurals, you know, and everybody has a burner phone (laughs) kind of thing. Can you retrieve Uh, him, James, if he... You know, you can't. Apparently, according to what I read, I have no idea. I'm not a. I don't. I don't. I always tell people I'm not having an affair and don't owe anybody money. So just call me. Don't. You know, I'll answer it, and they can have my phone if they want it. Uh, I, I, I tend to watch porn on my computer and my not my cell phone, so I wouldn't be too embarrassed. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. Go ahead. <laughs> At any rate, can you? Uh, can, you know, I, I, I will point this out till the day I die. The New York Times wrote more stories on Hillary's email in total than all of Trump's business and ethical problems. So that that you know, at some point. You know, Benghazi, which, of course, turned out to be precisely nothing. The email story, which everybody went nuts about, which actually turned out to be precisely nothing. And, and we have real scandals to chase here. And, and their stunts, understand, if you look at modern history, their stunts are 10 times more effective Absolutely. than our real issues. And what's really interesting and not a stunt is the Jamie Raskin question, why didn't Mike Pence get in the car with the Secret Service? All right. There might be a benign answer, but the Vice President of the United States denying a request from the Secret Service to get in a car, and we don't know this, but the speculation is they were going to try to take him out of the equation. This is a, this is a you question. You think the Secret Service is, may really have been involved in that? I'm not saying that they were, but what I'm saying is there is significantly more concern here and evidence that this would be a, a, well, Chilra's emails, of course, were nothing. Benghazi was nothing. This may be the greatest scandal that you could imagine in our democracy. I, I don't know that that's true, but 
we should be seeing stories. We should be seeing at least we couldn't because there's not enough ink on the equivalent of the email story. But this this is a very very fascinating story. It is, and it's fascinating. A, it's a great question too. So please keep those questions coming in. We love them. Uh, we can't get to them all. But we'll get to as many as we can, uh, and we look forward to hearing from those of you who didn't get your questions in today. Resend them, and hopefully we'll get to them next week. Okay, James, now for the uh, outrage. Mine is a raging upbeat this time. Uh, it's Jose Andres and the extraordinary work oh, that the great chef is doing. Wow. He is what he's doing to help those beleaguered uh, victims of Russia's war against Ukraine. This is, I, I want to say, I want to give credit. William Woodson, one of his valiant employees, gave me all this information. He has set up. Jose has set up a network of 6,000 volunteers serving 300,000 miles each day at the Polish border. He has created hot meal stations for every refugee crossing that border. He supplied he, supply chain support he's given to restaurants and established a regional bakery stations to ensure that bread is readily available. There are many cities the chef is helping, uh, Odessa, Kiev, Lviv, and, and in Ukraine, but also he's helping places in Romania and Hungary and uh, Moldova and Slovakia. The Ukrainians need weapons, James. They really need weapons, and we are supplying them. They also need food and sustenance, and Jose is leading the effort. He is a citizen of the world. I, you know, I, I, I was had something else, but I, I just got to go along with you. And, and two things bring me to that. First, my friend Paul Fleming. Think P.F. Chang's. Mm -hmm. Think Fleming Steakhouse. Mm -hmm. All right? He's actually a Louisiana guy. I went to LSU. And he was over there and was texting me from the Polish border, sending me pictures, and was was helping Chef Andreas, who he gives all the credit to in the world. And then last night, uh, you were there, and Mary and I were there, but the well-deserved honor at the Colombian embassy for our friend Maureen Orth, who's built schools and God knows done what for, for Colombia. And I was sitting there at a table. We had a different table, but I had some young people, Peace Corps people, Colombians and everything else. And we talked about 10 minutes about Shelf Andreas. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it just, he's become a, a, a humanitarian icon. And I, I, I just want to get on the bandwagon here with you. And our, and our friend William Woodson, is an integral part of his team, and I, I think he's a, like, you know, this is an inspirational show. We had uh, Senator McMorrow, and we're talking about Jose Andros. These are really great people. And we ought to note at that event last night, uh, the great Maureen Orth became a Columbia citizen. She has done so much for that country over half right. a century. And so she's still an American citizen. She's got dual citizenship. Uh, and uh, boy, I tell you, it's Correct. good for her, but it's really good for Columbia. Absolutely. And I'm one of my favorite places. Of course, I, I worked for President Santos, who ended up winning a Nobel Prize, which was really fun. Hey, you know, so, you know, when you mentioned Nobel Prize, Jose ought to be ought to be on that list of uh, that short list of possible Nobel Prize winners. It should be. Yeah. 
Yeah. Should definitely be. And, and and the James Beard Foundation should give him a special humanitarian lifetime achievement award. Yeah, yeah. Everybody should, should do something to encourage more people to do that. They, they were talking about the, the, the school stuff that he was sending out, like, during the pandemic. I mean, I, he, the reach of that guy is, is just stunning. He was prepared meals for these kids that were stuck at home. And... You know, one of the things that we just don't appreciate, how many, our friend Billy Shore, you know, oh. who spent a, a lifetime doing this, if we just take the fact that we have full stomachs for granted, you know, and we get cranky if, you know, we think we're going to eat lunch at noon and it's 1230 and, you know, God damn it, I got to eat. Right. And this this is something that they should really elevate. Uh, I, 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 I just so enthusiastic about your, your Jose Andreas shout out. I, I, I just really want to double down with you on that because yeah. I think it's really important. You mentioned Billy Shore. Let's not forget our friend Christy Harvey, who's his right hand. Right. Woman. Absolutely. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, Absolutely. Know, and, you know, I've, I've helped him raise some money from time to time, but I just, food is something we, we take for granted. And boy, that, that's something that, you know, billions of people in the world don't. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. That was, that was a great one, Al. I, that, like, stimulated me. I, yeah, I know. Great. I just got so, you know, I read a little bit about him, so I called William. And I said, William, can you just tell me what he said? I was blown away. I mean, right. you know, 300,000 meals a day at that at right. that border. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Um, it really is. You know. And that was, we had, we talked about 10 minutes last night. And this young guy went to, uh, yeah. you don't know, some suburban Philadelphia. I, mean, I don't know, I forgot. What went to one of those you know, Harold Swarthmore, Penn, but but whatever, just really, you know, and, and loved sports. I mean, we were watching the game. This could have been a more charming another guy. Yeah. Next to me was Colombian, and it, it, everybody would just love Chef Jose, man. Just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Smith AI, Trade Coffee, and the Jordan Harbinger Show in our show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.